Um, we're uh, going to be in Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 to 23. If you want to turn there in a the Bible, if you've got one, don't worry, it'll be on the screen there. Um, if not, uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We probably, many of us heard that verse. God loves a cheerful giver. Do I need to move this to stop him singing? That's all right. Try sorting it. Um, um, we may have heard that verse, and God loves a cheerful giver. And as it turns out, uh, givers are generally cheerful. Um, scientists, psychologists um, have uh, discovered um, this, that you get joy from giving, which is what I'm talking about today, joy in giving. Um, this is from a psychology journal. It reads like this. They said... People adapt to repeated getting. People adapt to repeated getting. The happiness we feel from eating the same food, from earning the same income, and from many other experiences quickly decreases as repeated exposure to identical sources of happiness increases. But the happiness we get from giving appears to sustain itself. The joy of giving doesn't seem to decrease in the same way that getting or receiving does. It appears to kind of carry on consistently. The joy that you get when you give somebody something seems to kind of sustain itself. And anecdotally, that's kind of true, isn't it? If you think about your experience of Christmas, when you're kind of four or five years old, Christmas Day is just like the most amazing day ever, isn't it? All these gifts, they kind of pour in throughout the day. It's just amazing receiving all these gifts, but it kind of drops off, and that's not just because of the spark of Christmas that you kind of learn about later on, kind of disappears a little bit. It's just because, actually, it kind of decreases over time. It's the way that getting and receiving something works. But it's not the same with giving. You might have experienced it with Christmas, actually, when you're young, you you learn to give, don't you? And the giving, like actually seeing your children receive presents or your family members, kind of sustains itself, doesn't it? And there's a joy in Christmas in giving gifts uh, to others. I wondered, have you discovered the joy of generous giving? Have you discovered the joy of generous giving? I know many of us have, um, because our regular giving went up, has been going up generally the last uh, couple of years, um, since we took the step of employing me full-time. Uh, we've had the Morning Star appeal. We've had gift days, which have increased and gone up to over £4,000 when we kind of give together twice a year. Um, the Ukraine appeal recently, the current trip to Poland with all the resources that have been pouring in for the refugee centre there and many other unseen ways. Many of us have discovered the joy of giving. And it brings us joy because it's evidence of the grace of God amongst us, isn't it? It's evidence of what God is doing In our hearts, because Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I.e., where you put your money shows what your heart is attached to, and where where your heart is, and what your heart is for. It's evidence of the grace of God amongst us, it's evidence of generosity, love for others amongst us as a church family. And Paul is writing to a church in Philippi, who are that kind of church, they're a generous church. They know all about it. They're well known for their generosity despite their poverty. They've been supporting Paul when he was with them in Philippi, when he planted the church there. Um, He's also uh, gone on to plant churches in Thessalonica, in Corinth, in Achaia, 
Um, and now they've sent a gift via Epaphroditus as well to support him while he's in prison. This is a church that was well known for its generosity. So as we go through the passage this morning, we're going to learn four things about giving that will help us as believers, as Christians, find joy in giving. Uh, Should we read together? Yeah, chapter 4, verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Um, And you Philippians, yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, i.e. when the gospel um, planted a church in Philippi, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my my God will supply every need of yours according to to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And then he bursts into praise. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he signs off. Greet every saint. He's got great friendship with them in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He's got concern for each of them. So four things um, about the Philippians giving that can help us to find joy in giving as a church. The first is mutual grace. Mutual grace. Paul's relationship with this church in Philippi was a mutual commitment to one another. It wasn't kind of a quid pro quo arrangement. It wasn't like they gave this, so he gave that, so that he gave this, and they gave that. It wasn't a kind of that kind of arrangement, but it was mutual grace-filled reciprocity of giving and receiving. He says you entered into giving and receiving um, with him. It says in verse 14 and 15, it was kind of you to share in my trouble, to enter into partnership with me in receiving and giving and receiving. They shared in his trouble and they gave to Paul and he gave to them. And there was a mutual commitment to one another. They were partners in advancing the gospel in Philippi and in other places like Thessalonica and Achaia and uh, Corinth and so on and elsewhere. And it wasn't because they were obliged. This church in Philippi didn't give because they had to give to Paul. He says, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. I.e., you didn't have to, but you have anyway. They were doing it not out of obligation because they had to. They went under compulsion. Paul wasn't making them do it because I planted you as a church. You should give to me and sustain me and support me in my ministry. It wasn't like that. It was kind of them to do it. They gave it out of grace. They were glad to do it. There was a wonderful freedom to it. It was grace-giving. And this is the nature of the gospel, isn't it? This is what God is like. We've been singing it this morning. You give life. You give hope. That's the nature of the gospel. God graciously gives to us. He wants to. It's not under compulsion. He doesn't have to. He just loves to do it. He loves to give to us life and hope. It's what delights his heart. It's what most kind of fits who he is. And it's what he's done for us in Jesus as well, isn't it? He's given us himself in the person of Jesus, who becomes a man who kindly shares in our troubles as human beings, lives the same kind of life as us, understands and can sympathize with the kind of difficulties 
of human existence. And he takes our troubles, takes our sin upon his shoulder, and he dies on the cross in our place. And this isn't from compulsion. He just does this freely. He does this because he wants to. He wants to come, live a human life, die on the cross, rise again from the dead, and ascend to heaven because it delights him. It delights his heart. He does it freely. And it's mutual, our relationship with God in this, isn't it? Because he's given to us, and so in response, we give to him. We give him our lives. We give him our everything we often sing, don't we? Not because we have to. God's not like twisting our arms. You know, remember the grace I've shown you? Remember my son dying on the cross? Don't you owe me something? God's not like that, is he? He's not like, you know, come on, give me something. Look, I gave everything for you. He's not that kind of God. He's not forcing us into it. But we give to him willingly, gladly, delighting to do so. Because we're mutually committed to one another. It's a bit like in marriage. If, if you've uh, ever been married, you know, you're in your wedding vows as part of giving rings. Exchange of rings, we say this to one another. All that I am, I give to you. And all that I am, I share with you. And marriage is based on our relationship as the church with Jesus. That all he has, all he is and all he has, has been given to us. And in response as the church, all that we are and all that we have is given to him. The same as in a marriage. And the Philippians' reciprocal giving-receiving relationship with Paul is their grace-filled giving, revealing what God is like. That's why Paul is so bowled over by their generosity to him, not just simply because it shows they care and because it met his needs. He's really bowled over because it's evidence of what God is like, that God is a gracious giver, and they're revealing what he's like. He says it in verse 17, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I don't seek the gift, I seek the fruit in you, the evidence of God's love, the evidence that God is a gracious giver. He cares about their progress in the faith that he's he said earlier in the letter, they're, they're growing to be more like God, reflecting the image of God, revealing that they've been made new on the inside and that it's working its way to the outside in their giving of themselves and of their, particularly their finances in this case. Their giving is fruit of their evidence of their growing relationship with God, of the new creation breaking through into their lives, into the way they treat their money. And so when we give individually and when we give as a church... It's evidence that God has made us new, given us new hearts that give like he does. So I guess a question to ask is, is this what our friendships amongst us here at New Life are like? Do we give to one another, financially or in other ways, freely? Do we want to do it gladly? Do we delight to give to one another Mutually committed to one another to advancing the gospel in Beckles and beyond. That's what church family looks like. Committed to one another in friendship, giving into things together for the sake of advancing the gospel and the mission of God in Beckles and beyond. And as a church, we're in these kind of relationships with other churches, aren't we? Reciprocal relationships where we give and receive from one another, but we're not keeping tally, you know, uh, we prayed recently for the churches in uh, Beckles in the town, 
the Baptist Church and St. Luke's and St. Michael's. Uh, we're not keeping a tally sheet. I don't go, oh, we prayed for St. Luke's and, uh, and Beckles. Next time Tom asks me for some prayer requests at the Baptist Church, I don't go, oh, bother. T- cross that one off. I've got to, I've got to send him. I've, we've got to pray for them now. <laughs> keep, you know, oh, they're praying more than us. We've got to keep up. It's not quite like that, is it? It's grace-filled. We love to bless one another in prayer. And um, they've been blessing us, the Baptist Church, particularly with their building, haven't they, this year when we were nomadic. Not, they didn't ask us for money. I mean, we, we thanked them and gave them some, but they weren't like bending our arms on it. Um, we're in those kind of relationships with one another. And we are in our family of churches as well, aren't we? Particularly with those in Norfolk and North Suffolk, um, especially kings, the giving, there's friendship there. We give and receive from one another. Toby and Marcus Goff have come preached here. Last week I was there preaching to help fill a gap at one of their sites in City West. There's a reciprocal and it's not like, we preached here once, you must come preach here, and then we seesaw. No, it's just, we love to, you know, it delights us to bless one another, to give. We don't keep tally of how many hours they've given to serving us and think, oh gosh, we've got to pay that back at some point. But we're in the kind of relationship where we love to serve and give to one another. Um, we, you might have read recently about the reports we shared in e-news of Steph and Mike and Morris who lead us as a family of churches, um, they kind of um, are kind of breaking ground, if you like, in wanting us to see kind of churches planted across the nations, Europe and here in the UK. And they're leading that mission for us. And we're joined together in friendship. We share a vision together. We share values together. And we give into that mission together. And the money goes to them to help further the mission. And they've sent a report back, letting us know what's going on. We don't do it because um, it's not like a hierarchy where you've got bosses in a denomination who tell you, you must give this amount of money to the central pot every year. It doesn't work like that. We've joined together at heart level in friendship, saying this is what we would love to do, plant churches across the world so that Jesus is made known and so that the mission of God advances. And then we love to give into it. Nobody says to us, oh, you must give this. We just say, oh, we'd love to give into that because our hearts are joined together. We're mutually committed to one another. It's an act of grace. And these kind of friendships between us here together at New Life and between churches that involve reciprocal grace-filled giving that loves and delights to give in response to God's grace to us reveals what God is like in his nature. And it brings us joy because God loves to give. And when we give, we enter into his joy. That's why God gives, we give, we enter into the joy that he gets from giving. So that's the first. The second is their giving is sacrificial. Verse 18, Paul describes their gift as a sacrifice. Um, Part of Paul's um, joy in this church in Philippi was how generous their giving was, despite how difficult it was for them. Um, Whilst there's great joy in giving, it's actually painful as well, isn't it? There's a cost and a sacrifice. It's difficult. It costs us, literally costs us money. But it costs us, doesn't it? Because there's something going on in our hearts when we do it. And Paul, writing in, uh, to a church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1 to 4, he's talking about Philippi when he writes this. And he says this, We want you to know, brothers, in Corinth, 
about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia, Philippi. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, i.e. they weren't twisted into it, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. Basically, through affliction, through severe testing, out of extreme poverty, not just a little lack, they weren't just a little bit poor, out of extreme poverty, this church in Philippi gave generously, even beyond their means. And this is the nature of the gospel, isn't it? That God has given to, to us a great cost to himself. You know that famous verse in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus gave his life for us. He died an excruciating death on the cross in our place. He was whipped. He was beaten. It cost God. It was a sacrifice. He sacrificed his life for us. We call Jesus the Lamb of God, don't we? He was sacrificed for us in our place. How was God's heart in this? Hebrews 12 Verse 2 says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross? The joy that was set before him endured the cross. That's why he went to the cross. Not thinking, oh, it's ruddy creation I made. It's Adam and Eve business got out of control. Now I'm going to have to go and do this for them. I stepped into humankind thinking, oh, such a bother. I wish I hadn't done it in the first place. No, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. It delighted him to do it. That's a paradox of the gospel, that in giving there's both joy and pain involved. And the joy is experienced through sacrifice. If you like, sacrifice, the cost of giving, is the doorway into joy. As we sacrifice and as it costs us, we enter into the joy of God. Because it cost God to give his only son for us. And it's a sacrifice now to give, isn't it? What a time to be speaking on giving. I was really delighted when this passage came up. I thought, oh, the news will really help me in this. Everybody's loaded at the minute. Economy's growing. Things are going fantastic. <laughs> it's not, is it? Obviously, at the minute, to give cost us even more than it did three or four months ago. You might have noticed your energy bill is a little bit different to what it was a month or two ago. The cost of filling up a tank of petrol. I remember we filled it up one week, two weeks later it jumped like £17 for a tank of fuel. It's a phenomenal rise. The cost of living at the minute is going up significantly. It's a sacrifice, isn't it? It's a cost. To even just continue giving the same thing we were giving two months ago, right at the minute, really hurts. It's painful. It costs us. So how can we give well and sacrificially? Well, that verse I read at the start encourages us to decide what to give. It means we kind of give thoughtfully, not to kind of give carelessly and think, um, when, I, when I started teaching, I couldn't believe the amount of money they gave me for it. I mean, I come out of uni, and you, you never really know that much money when you're in uni, do you? <laughs> if you've ever, ever been to university, it's not a time for kind of having lots of cash. They start paying you, all this money's in your account, you're like, whoa! Well, <laughs> you know, they're going to pay me that? Really? Brilliant. Um, and uh, it could be very easy at that time. I felt it. I was like, I can kind of give without noticing it. Because I don't really need that much money. I was a single man. 
very little responsibilities and you kind of just kind of give freely. I've got so much money, I don't know what to do with it. Not really costing me. Not really entering into the joy of giving. So how can we, we do it well? Well, many of us um, give on a monthly basis, which is really the best way to give to us as a church. It helps us um, know how much is being given. It helps us uh, budget. It'll help us plan our giving and our capacity to serve others throughout the year. It helps us as elders and trustees to make decisions. So if you're going to give into the church, giving on a regular basis, weekly or monthly, is, is the best way uh, to do it. If you've made new life your home, maybe you've recently kind of joined us and you're settling in here, can I encourage you to think about giving into our mission together as a church on a regular basis, whether that be monthly or weekly, into what God is doing here. And maybe if you've been part of New Life for a long time and uh, you set up a direct debit and it's kind of been ticking along, give the, maybe as a provocation at the end of this morning to sit down to, um, with whoever you kind of do your finances with to think about your own giving and whether, um, whether it hurts. <laughs> That's an odd thing to say, isn't it? Does your giving hurt? Because as it does, we enter into the joy of God in giving. We've got a building uh, project coming up soon, uh, which we'll share more about in future weeks. And the rev- regular giving... Um, will help us know the ongoing cost of the building against our ongoing income and will help us make smart decisions about what we do in the future. Um, so doing it now, kind of particularly at this moment, is really helpful to us because um, that will help us for the future, won't it, Peter? I think Peter's probably really glad I said that and I probably could have said more. <laughs> um, how can you do that? Well, you can uh, click on the website. There's a link there or the in e-news. Or you can uh, give on Sundays. If you're giving cash, there's some um, tubs at the front as you come in by the door. Or you can speak to Janet, who's not here this week, but she's usually here. And um, I'm pointing over there because she usually sits over there. Um, <laughs> Janet's not here. Yes, she's away. Uh, so you can speak to her about setting up a direct debit and doing gift aid so that we can claim that back. Just as a person, uh, as an aside to this, One of the things that I found quite helpful in trying to give sacrificially and deciding what to give is actually not to set up a direct debit. I'm not discouraging you from doing it, but just from time to time, um, one of the things, uh, the way our finances work, I have to click buttons and enter in figures in order to give. Because setting up a direct debit, you can just end up, I've set it up and it just ticks along, and you don't think about it all year. Um, I do it manually because there's a moment where I have to stop and think, I mean, Jess and I agree a floor, basically. We have a floor percentage. We're never going to give less than this. And if I'm going to up it, we have a conversation. Um, but every time I enter it manually, because it makes me decide in my heart. It, makes, it reminds me I'm giving this. I look at the figure and go, <gasps> and then enter into the joy of giving it <laughs> as I click the button. But just to recommend, if you give directly uh, by um, monthly direct debit, maybe just think about doing that from time to time, having a moment where you decide to give uh, and enter into the cost of it. Great. And the third thing was, it's pleasing to God. Verse 18, a fragrant offering, a, s- a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. I mean, on the face of it, this Philippian gift is just an act of friendship, isn't it? 
Paul planted the church. He stayed with them a long time. They're great friends. He seems to know them all. They get on really well. He's got a lot of joy in this church. They've obviously got a good relationship with him. It kind of made sense. Hey, you're our friend. You're in trouble in prison. Here's some money. Have a gift. Or, oh, you're going to go and plant a church there, just like you did here? Yeah, we want to get involved in that. We'd love to kind of bless you as you're doing that. It's a simple act of friendship. But actually, at the same time, Paul says it's an act of worship. One writer says this. this the social act of friendship is a religious act of worship. The social act of friendship is a religious act of worship. Giving to a friend is ultimately giving to God. It's part of worship. And he uses an Old Testament reference here when talking about burnt offering made in worship in the Old Testament um, in the temple. It's this picture of this beautiful aroma of their worship, of their giving, of their sacrifice, wafting up to the heavenlies, pleasing um, God, as it were, a pleasing smell to the nostrils of God, to put it really bluntly. That's the picture that's going on. And when God loves us and saves us and makes us new, we long to live life in a way that pleases him, don't we? To please him, for our lives to be acceptable, worship uh, to him, to be a sacrifice to him. Um, As Christians, we live, like we've been singing this morning, Day by day, in the grace of God, don't we? In the goodness of God towards us, his unchanging love for us that we've been singing about, that we're accepted by him, that we're called his children, that we're part of the family, that we belong to him, that he delights in us. That's the basis of our relationship with him, isn't it? Not that we loved him, but that he first loved us, his delight in us. Um, But how we live our lives, or also I should say, how we live our lives can please or grieve God. How we live our life can please or grieve God. Now, that might seem to contradict one another. We live in the grace of God, his constant delight and uh, goodness, his constant unchanging love for us. At the same time, we can please or grieve God by the way we live our lives. How does that work? Um, Imagine a a parent's unchanging, immovable love for their children that doesn't change. That's the way it should be, isn't it, in the ideal parent just loving their child. In that healthy environment, a child wants to please their parent. You might have been lucky enough to experience that from your child, that moment where you can see their face and they're disappointed that they didn't please you. Or they delight in the fact that, yeah, I got it right, daddy's pleased with me, I brought a smile to his face. In a healthy, I know there's, we're sinful and there's more complexity to that, but on the face of it, that's that produces a healthy environment, doesn't it, where children want to please their parents because children are blind to morality. They don't necessarily know right from wrong, good from bad, constructive from destructive. Um, And so it's appropriate in the context of that relationship with their parents that they want to please because parents' pleasure is a kind of clue as to whether they got it right or wrong. You know, a child does X and looks waiting for the response. Did I get that right? Am I about to be called over, or am I okay to continue? And they do this, because they're checking. Have I pleased my dad or my mum? And in the same way, it's appropriate for us um, to want to please God and not to grieve him, um, because we want to live our lives to worship God. And, um, yeah. So, one of the things to do is worth us checking our heart motivation for giving. Because there's a verse in the 
Psalm 50, isn't there, about God's not always impressed by our offerings. Um, He doesn't, the outward appearance he's not bothered about. Because you can actually give money from a not great heart, and you can give money from a heart desiring to please God. And what's God after? He's after our hearts. He's not after our money. He's got plenty of it. He's not lacking. He's got all the donuts, if you like. He's not lacking, but he's after our hearts. And so uh, it's good to check our motivation for giving. Is it, are we doing it because we want to please God? And fourth thing, this final thing. Uh, they give confidently. Verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Um, what essentially uh, G, uh, God is saying, uh, Paul is saying is, where I lack in giving to you as a, as a church, Philippi, God will pick up the check. Uh, when I was in year six, we, uh, we went on this trip to Ashburton um, in Devon. And one of the things was learning to abseil, and I'd never done it before. And I'm not, like, massively fearful of heights, but if it's pretty high, I'll be a bit like, ooh, okay? And so abseiling, kind of up there, ooh, don't fancy that. <laughs> I need a little bit of persuasion. And they kind of put their abseiling gear on you and tie you with a rope. And they give you a little practice beforehand. And they hook you on, on ground level. And they say, look. And they pull on the rope and say, hey, we got you. And they show us, here, the ropes have got you. You're okay. And then you can kind of confidently abseil your way down the really high building. And um, what Paul is saying here is that God has got the ropes in our giving. He's got the ropes. He's holding us safe and secure I don't know if you've seen the film Free Solo. It's about a man who climbs El Capitan in Yosemite National Park without any ropes or any gear. Free, free climbing. And I mean, it's huge. And the face of it, it just looks like there isn't anywhere to put your hands and feet. And it's an incredible, if you want to watch it, it's on, I think it's on Netflix, Free Solo, amazing film. Edge of your seat stuff. I mean, make sure you grow your fingernails for it. It's just like... <laughs> But if the guy was wearing ropes, they probably wouldn't have made a film about it. And if they had, it would have been quite short. He would have been quite confident, and he would have scaled it no problem. Um, It's the having no ropes that kind of makes it scary. The confident, when he's got ropes, that would make him confident to climb in. It's in the same way with our giving. God has the ropes, and he will give and meet our every need as we give. And sometimes that's money. Although money is just a small part of our lives, isn't it? Um, But God provides for all our needs. In fact, one version says God will fill up every need of theirs. God ensures that we have everything everything we need. And we've seen this in Philippians already, that in their affliction, God will uh, supply their steadfastness, joy, and encouragement. In their need to advance as one mind, Agreeing in the Lord, God will supply humility and grace. And in just the previous verses, in their worry, God will supply peace. The Philippians have been extremely generous, lavishly generous, but they haven't outgiven God. You can't outgive God. It's not possible. Doesn't matter how much you give, you can never outgive God, who has lavishly and graciously given us his son Jesus and all the riches that are found in him. His unchanging love, his forgiveness, his acceptance of us, his adoption of us into his family, his redemption of us, 
his resurrection hope, his spirit's power, God has given lavishly and generously to us, hasn't he? And we can't ever outgive the lavish riches of God in Christ Jesus. But there are things that can stop us giving confidently, aren't there? I'm so glad that Andrew stepped out and read the passage that um, I was going to bring just now as well. Matthew 6, 25 to 34, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body or what you'll put on. Life's more than food and clothes. Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap, but gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious or worried, can add a single hour to his span of life or even a penny to your pocket? Therefore, don't be anxious or worry, saying, what should we eat, drink, wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father, he knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. What brings less worry and more joy? Keeping money or giving it? (laughs) It's paradoxical, isn't it? Because you would think keeping hold of your money would bring you more joy and cause you to worry less. But Jesus says the opposite. Ironically, worrying about money steals our joy, whereas giving it away brings us joy. And as we learn to give to God seeking first his kingdom here in Beckles and beyond, trusting that he'll provide and meet our every need. We're like the bird, knowing where to come back. We know, we just come back to the Father. He'll supply every need of ours. He'll fill us up. Giving, ironically, is the route to freedom from worry about money. It's not hoarding. Hoarding kind of makes it worse. Giving away is freedom from worry about money. And in Jesus, God has provided for our biggest need, living the perfect life for us, dying a death on the cross in our place, rising again so that we could rise too, so that we could reign with him in the new creation, with him. So if God provides for our greatest need, he'll provide for every other need, for us as a church and for us individually as well. If the band want to come back up, we're going we're gonna to sing one song before we, uh, we finish. Uh, Winston Churchill said this, We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. All the basics in life, food, water, clothing, shelter, um, is important, isn't it? We need those, and that's kind of the way life works. It's important and good to kind of make sure we've got those things. But once you've got those basics in life, what are you living for? What is the point of your life? Once you've earned the basics of food, water, shelter, clothing, what is the purpose of your life? What are you living for? Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. We don't find life in an abundance of possessions, in accumulating stuff, We find life in giving away. And Jesus knew that we'd find life in giving away and that we'd find joy in giving. Why? Because we're made in God's image. 
that we're made in the image of a giver, in God's nature to give away, to be generous. He loves and delights and wants to give. And when we give, we find life because we enter and joy because we enter his into his joy and delight. Should we stand and uh, we're going to respond? Um, Should we um, maybe close our eyes and just uh, still ourselves before God, just as we kind of respond? First, I think God wants to speak to some of us who, are, who worry about money. Who worry about money. And he wants to remind us that he loves us. His love for us is unchanging. That the Father will meet every need of yours out of the lavish riches that are in Christ. He loves you. You don't need to worry about anything. He will supply your every need. He wants us to first enjoy the generous love of God towards us in giving himself away. I'm going to sing it now. The Lord has given himself away to us. Jesus has given up his life for us because he loves us. First enjoy him and then give out of God's generosity towards you. Lord God, we thank you that you've been so generous towards us in Christ Jesus. We thank you for giving yourself. Jesus, we thank you for giving up your life. We thank you that you've not withheld anything from us, but have graciously given us all things. Thank you, Father, for the promise that you will supply every need of ours. We pray, Lord, help us trust you and confidently give, knowing that you will supply all our needs. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.